This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I've been thinking a lot about where we are, and it, it is, God has been speaking to me a little bit about what it is that he's wanting to do. And I've got some really good news for you, because what he's telling me is this, you're not going to stay where you are. Okay, so I, what I want to do is I'm going to start talking a little bit about moving into the next dimension. Moving into the next dimension, I'll get into it in a minute, but it's really important for us because the thing is, we, I've come to realize that there's such a disconnect very often between what it is that we want and what God is looking for. And sometimes the, the challenge with it is, is that we're wanting to take God and we're wanting to introduce God into our limited reality, but really what God's wanting to do is to elevate our experience. And so what we want to do is we want to bring him down to this place, but what he's wanting to do is to take us from that place and introduce us into more experiential and bigger living. And so it's important for us that as we journey through life that we understand the most important thing for us is our relationship with God. Because in that context, we're going to discover what it is that he wants. We're going to discover who he is. We're going to discover the fullness of what he's provided for us. And it creates opportunities for us to be able to walk into that and for that to become a reality in our lives. I'm going to kind of set up a little bit of a foundation today and talk about some things with regard to that. And I'm going to get into some more detail with it last week. Not last week. Ah, Next week. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1, and then I'm going to go to 10 and to 13. Um, I'm going to touch on this today, but I'll get into more detail next week. So it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. This is not this Jesse. It's another one. (laughs) For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So off he goes, and he goes off and he meets with Jesse. So we're going to jump down to verse 10. And it says, in the same way, so Jesse, what he does is he brings out all of his sons, and Samuel has a look at it. Just leave it up. Samuel has a look at them, and he talks to them, and he checks them all out, and he's like, no, 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 no. So, And then he says, in the same way, all um, seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said to him, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil and brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. When we speak about moving into a new dimension, Um, I think it's important for us to give some kind of clarity and definition as to what it is that we're talking about. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever your, your situation and your reality looks like, whatever your relationship with God looks like right now, God is sitting saying, I want to take it to a new level. 
I'm wanting to make it more expansive. I'm wanting to make it bigger. God's wanting to take us from where we are and elevate us to a new position. Most important, what God wants to do is God wants to introduce us what it means to live from powerful living. Powerful living. Powerful Christianity is one of the things that I think is so conspicuously absent in the world today. Part of the challenge that we have is we have lots of people who have lots of ideas, and we have people who have great theology, and we have people who are able to introduce us into fresh doctrine. And there's nothing wrong with all of those things, unless that's where we stop. The point of it is we can have all of that stuff, but ultimately our Christianity should be gauged, and the measure of our healthy Christianity is not by what we know, but by what we're able to introduce. Power is an important aspect of our Christianity. Are you with me this morning? Okay, you have to stick with me. Otherwise, it's like I could veer off and fall asleep. It's a really important part. It is what I would suggest to you is this. This is just a personal opinion. Nobody fall on their sword about it. I think it's the most important part of your Christianity. And I'm going to get into why I think it's so important to us. The thing about it is this. When Jesus walked the earth and Jesus was about and out in society, when Jesus met with different people, people were not attracted to him because of his robe and his fashion sense. They weren't attracted to him because of his nice words. They weren't attracted to him even because of his theology. They were attracted to him because of his ability to be able to intervene in situations and bring about change and transformation. They were attracted to him because of his power. People were drawn to him. Religious people were drawn to him. And even when they were afraid of being found and they came to him by night, the reason that they came to him was because you can do some stuff that nobody else can do. What happens when we live our Christianity off a power base is that it makes an impact. Our Christianity was designed to make an impact, to have influence in the world. It's our power base that we live from that becomes the light and the salt of the world. That's what brings about change. So it's really important for us to make sure that we have that. Believe me, I'm speaking to me as much today as I am to you, so I'm having lots of license (laughs) because I'm talking to myself in this. We should never be satisfied with where we are with God. Never be satisfied and never peg your tents and be like, I'm happy with that. I can live in that place. I'm comfortable with that. There is always more to our relationship with God. Ultimately, when we start talking about moving into a new dimension, there are two key variables that come into play, play. You and your relationship with God. It's you in the context of God. In that place, because we're talking about you, you are most important. Why? Because God doesn't change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for everybody's life. God is looking to sit and say, I'm here. I'm available. Will you partner with me? Will you partner with me? We have, in that space, it's quite interesting because the thing is, we begin to realize and recognize the fact that God's thoughts and his ways are above mine. And as a result of that, God's plan is established by him, not me. So it's important to recognize it, I, there are places where I get to have influence and other places where I don't. I don't, don't get to influence the plan. He has the plan. He knew me before I was born. He had a look at the plan and the purpose that he had for my life and what he wanted me to do. And he went back and he created me in order to fulfill that plan. He knows what the plan is. I don't. But where I do have influence is in two key areas. Number one, I get to choose whether I actually want to partner with the plan or not. God's not going to force the plan on you. And there's some people who intentionally sit and say, I thank you a lot for the plan, but you know what? I'm stepping outside of that. I want to go my own way. 
I want to do my own thing. Remember, that's what Adam did in the garden. Okay? As I go along, I'm just going to veer off in different things. Let me suggest something to you. Understand this. I have kids who are teenagers. Okay? And because kids are teenagers, kids go through a stage where they're looking for identity and they're trying to find out who they are. In the world and the landscape in which we find ourselves today, there are plenty of options and all kinds of ideas that are being thrown at them. That's okay. The most important thing that you can do as a parent is build a bridge into your kids' lives. Build a bridge, build an avenue. Why? Because you don't want access, you, you don't want to limit your access to their heart. What you want is them coming to you with all the kind of nonsense that they're getting from out in the world and from society and from their peers and everywhere else. And if they come to you and sit and say, this is what's been given to me and this is what I'm thinking about, it's a wonderful thing. You know why? Because you've established trust. What you want is access to that place. Because when you have access to the fundamental part of who they are, it empowers you to be able to take truth and to impart truth into that place. And sit and say, I know you may be considering this. And I know it's being proposed to you. And I know all kinds of people are coming to you with ideas about this. And I know you might be seeing it on TikTok. And I know that you might be seeing it in all kinds of places all over. The That's what I want to tell you is God's got a plan and an answer to that. And let me tell you why this is the truth. Because this is the plan. Let me give you the plan. Let me introduce you to the plan. If you grab hold of the plan, you're not going to compromise your life. Leave the door open. They're learning and they're growing. In your teen years, you are exploring and you're developing identity. If you close the door to touching their heart, they'll go somewhere else to get it. They're going to come to you with junk. Junk is fine. Because what you want is to be honest. What you want is the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand what's happening and have the wherewithal to be able to make impartations into their life so that you can seed it with truth. They're not getting truth in other places. Don't close off the door. What is I talking about? That wasn't even, what was I saying? He has a plan and a purpose for your life. God has a plan and a purpose. We have two choices. Do we partner with it or don't we? The second choice that we have is this. To what degree do we want to partner with him? Some people are happy to race ahead. It's a really good thing. Some people are more reserved. And other people put on the brakes every now and again. They're kind of jittery. I'll move forward with God, but then I'm not sure about this. I'm uncertain about where we are right now, and I'm not sure that I really want to go ahead with him. God will wait on you. God is never going to pressure you to do anything that you do not want to do. It's an invitation. It's a romance. You don't get to force anybody in a romance to love you. You wait for them to initiate that. And if that initiation isn't there, there's nothing you can do. Unrequited love. God's always drawing us. He's always calling us. He's always inviting us into something new. The wonderful thing about it is this. There is not anybody in the Bible that was left the same as God found them when they decided to journey with him. Everybody that God chose, everybody that God met with, everybody that God got involved with their life ended up in a different place. They may have been a moon worshiper when God found them, but they found themselves being a father of many nations at the end of everything. They may have been a filthy fisherman with a foul mouth, but they found themselves changing the world, turning it upside down. I don't know where God's going to find you. But you know what? It doesn't matter where he finds you. What I can tell you this is at the end of the journey, you will never be the same. If you will trust him and if you will put your trust in him, if you will partner with him and you will walk with him, he will take you from where you are and he'll take you into new realms of experience. 
When God meets with, when God met with Joseph, God gave him a dream. It was a prophetic dream. What he was saying to Joseph was, I've got a plan and a purpose for you. I've got a destiny for you. I've got a final ending place for you. And he celebrated that and he got all excited about that. But what Joseph forgot about was the fact that between where he was and where the destination was, there was a journey to take place. And the journey that had to take place was a a journey that was all about equipping him to move into what God had prepared for him. The journey that God walks us through is not a natural journey. It has its roots in spiritual things. It'll have expression in the natural, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the journey that we work on, that we walk on with God, is a spiritual journey. And there are two things that are going to move that forward. The one thing is need, and the other thing is hunger. Sometimes people don't have hunger for the things of God. They're happy living the way they are. But all of a sudden, crisis hits. And when crisis hits, need arrives. And need very often drives people to God. It's not that God put it there. It's just that they've recognized that they've hit a wall. And suddenly, there's something happening in their life. And I don't have what it takes to be able to deal with that. I don't have what's necessary in order to be able to move forward and get, get past that. But I know someone who has. Need will drive us to God. Hunger is the other thing that drives people to God. People reach a point in their Christian walk where God's moved them to a place and they love the new area that God's invited them into and they explore the new terrain and they love the landscape and they get into that place and it's new and it's fresh. But once you've lived there for a period of time, once you've eaten of that place for a period of time, what ends up happening is it's like, I want something more. I love it. I'm not dissatisfied with where I am, but I know that there's more. I want to move up to a higher level. There's a strange thing about spiritual hunger is in the natural, when you're hungry and you eat, you feel satiated. In the spirit, when you eat, you feel hungrier. You feel hungrier. The more you get of God, the more you want. Hunger and need are the two key drivers on our journey with God. Stick to hunger. Be hungry for him. Trust me, if you're hungry for God, what will end up happening is you will move hurdles, you will move heaven and earth to move to the next plateau with him, to move to the next dimension with him. The things that we're looking for from God are things that you can't access in the natural. The thing is, you can get some stuff in the natural. You don't even have to be born again to really understand the Bible, to read it, to know the verses, to be able to give a dissertation on it. There are plenty of theologians who aren't even born again, but they know the Bible inside out. I can get knowledge by myself. I can get understanding by myself. I can get insights on certain things by myself. There are things that I can do that I don't necessarily have to be born again to do, but there are other things that I don't have access to. Those are spiritual truths. When I get down to things like love, faith, trust, authority, power, fruit of the Spirit, I can't make any of that happen. I cannot make any of that happen. I become 100% dependent on him to do that. And it becomes important for us because when we move into that space, we begin to recognize the fact that there are certain things that are really essential characteristics of what my Christianity should be about. And yet I'm 100% dependent on him to do that. And when I get to that place, it's a healthy place to be. Because I recognize my inability to deliver, but I recognize that he's more than enough. It's interesting when you have a look at the story, because what ends up happening is Samuel goes down, and 
Jesse, when he understands why Samuel's there, brings out all of his sons except one. You know what it says? It says, I never ever thought he would be the one. Completely overlooked. In fact, he was a little bit dumbfounded that none of the others were. Oh, yes, I have got another one. I forgot about him. I'll tell you why it's important. Because the things that are material and important, the things that are consequential in man's economy, are completely irrelevant in God's. I don't care where you've come from, where you've been, what life has been like. Some people have had really hard challenges. Some people have had stuff put into them. You may be coming to the party with absolutely nothing. It's irrelevant in God's economy. What you bring to the party and who you are, and who you are has absolutely no bearing on your future with God. Why? Because God's future with, with you is 100, de- is 100% dependent on something called grace. And grace is all about gifting. My encouragement to you would be this. Put this in capital letters. Your journey with God is going to be defined by grace. The economy of God is defined by gifting. Everything that you need to move forward with God is going to be gifted to you. It has nothing to do with anything you can bring. It doesn't matter where you are or where you've been. God's not looking for anything that you can contribute. What's God's, what God is saying to you is, can you bring yourself to a place where you can position yourself in complete dependence on me? Because it's all about gifting. I'm the one who's going to give you life. I'm the one who's going to give you power. I'm the one who will give you authority. I'm the one who will give you the fruit of the Spirit. I'm the one who will introduce you to what it is that you need. Everything that I need in order to be successful in life, according to God, is going to come from Him. And it's going to come from His economy, not from mine. So take great consolation in the fact that God is not looking for anything from you. It means everything that I have, everything that I've been, and everything that I have to contribute is completely inconsequential to him. All I need to do is put myself at a place where I sit and say, my journey is to be defined not by any contribution I can bring, but by his grace. Live in the space of grace. Every time you're looking for something, Father, I need, I need something gifted of you. I, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have what's necessary in order to accomplish this. I need something from you. I need something from you. God, um, it's not to say that there is a divorce between the spiritual and the natural. And I'm not for a moment suggesting that we become people who become so spiritually minded that we know have no earthly good. But I think that if you have a look at the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus is such a great example to us of somebody who was motivated, grounded, and absolutely secure in his spiritual realities that when he walked into the natural realm, he was able to have influence. And as a result of that, he made a mark. Jesus was like, not my will, but thy will be done. There's something really important about that. What it's saying is, I'm recognizing the fact that if I'm to live from the spiritual dimension, I need to understand what the plans and purposes of the spiritual dimension are. The minute I lock into God's will, I've just discovered something. Anytime you have a circumstance or a situation that you're facing, find out God's will. When you find out God's will, you've just discovered his plan and his purpose for that. Very often, what ends up happening is it's going to place a demand on us because what's happening is I'm looking at a situation. It might be sickness. I might have financial challenges. I have whatever it might be. The thing is, in that, in, in that place, what God is saying is, this is my will. Health. 
Jehovah Jireh, my God, shall supply all of my needs. Great. That's a wonderful thing. The thing about it, I've discovered God's will. The thing about it is Jesus didn't just say that I live by the will of the Father. He said it's the Father in me that does the works. So what he's saying is it's not just discovering the will of God that's important for us, but being able to partner with God so that the Spirit of God is able to come and bring about the change and the influence in that space that I'm not able to do. If you're looking at a situation right now and you feel the limitations of where you are, that's a good thing. Don't worry about it. Okay, it's an invitation where God is sitting saying to you, I have got a solution. I have got a plan. I have got a purpose. If you discover my will and you partner with me, I'll take you from where you are and I'll take you to the next dimension. You might not be able to fix where you are in the dimension that you're in. But the thing about it is that's why we're growing with God. That's why we're in a journey with God. He's always taking us and introducing us to something new. Why is he introducing us to something new? Because our relationship with him should always be expansive. Every time I discover something new about who he is, that truth is designed to flood my life and influence my life in a way that I'll never be the same. Once I take the boundaries of my life and I discover something new about God, I'll get to push the boundaries of my life out as a result of his influence. And it never comes back in again because that's a discovery that's been made. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowledge of what God is all about is not about an, in, an intellectual acquiescence to this is what the, the principle is. It's about coming to the Holy Spirit where you sit and say, I need the power to be able to introduce that truth into who I am so that it becomes something that I live by. It becomes a definer of who I am in my nature. That's how I push the boundaries of my life out. It instills on the inside of me a divine confidence to live from that place. And you can't take that away. God is always wanting to bring us to that place. Our, our natural orientation is always self. God is always going to meet us at the place of self. What separated Adam from God was when Adam decided that he didn't need God and that he could do his own thing. And so what ended up happening was he made choices outside of God's design. And so he decided he was going to give definition to who he was and what his future looked like. And the minute he, do, he did that, he and God went separate ways. We've all grown up in life without having had the influence of God to some degree. I don't know when you met God. But the challenging part for all of us is the fact that our formative years are between, well, they say from like when you're in the womb up to the age of seven. Up until that point, basically the framework for your life has been established. And so the thing is, we have some baggage that's in there. So what we do is this, when we meet God, we meet God at a place where it's all about me and the focus of my life is, this is the reality that defines who I am. This is what's going on in my life like right now. These are the challenges that I have. This is the obstacle that I see in front of me. I'm looking for a, a, a sense of um, self-worth. I'm looking for places to be happy, to be content, to be fulfilled. I'm searching for those things. Very often we get out and we, we're listening to podcasts and we're reading all kinds of motivational books because we think, if I really understand what marriage is about, if I really understand what raising kids is all about, if I really understand what it is to set goals and ambitions and all of those things, what it'll do is it'll equip me, it'll, it'll empower me to be able to walk into my future. It'll be able to harness my abilities and my skills so that I can 
do some stuff and I can move forward with God. And God meets us in this place. And we don't always recognize it, but really what we do is we live from a place where we've established ourselves as our own savior. I can do it. I can manage it. The thing about it is, what's most challenging for us is when we enter that arena, what what happens is I'm so dependent on self to be able to do those things, but I know that I'm a Christian. So what happens is I know the right thing to do in this thing, in this situation, is to pray. So I go and I pray, but really I know that I'm plan B. it's very important for us to get real we have to be real in our Christianity if we're not real and we're artificial it doesn't take us anywhere we have to be we have to be truthful when we get real it means that I have the courage to be able to look honestly at myself and if you find yourself in different places there's no right or wrong it's just part of your journey it's, you're not a bad person because you're this or you're that or anything else. Okay? It just helps you truthfully allocate where you are. But there's nothing worse than living in deception. The worst thing about that is I think everything's great. I think everything's rosy. But in reality, it isn't. Why? Because if I'm really honest, I pray for lots of stuff. But in truth, very few of my prayers come about. Why? That's why I'm doing the series, because I think it'll help us. Prayer should be so powerful. When Jesus prayed, he lived in the expectation that it was going to happen. There was no plan B. It was like, no, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. They tell a story about Smith Wigglesworth, and he, called, he was called out because somebody said that they had, I think it was their husband that had died, and he was in the hospital bed. And he got in there and he prayed for him. And the guy never got up. So he prayed for him again and he never got up. So he pulled him out of bed and he prayed for him again and never got up. And he put him up against the wall and he was yelling and screaming at him to, to, to raise him from the dead. And everybody in the ward and everybody, everybody can hear everything that's carrying on. But he carried on and he did it for about 15 minutes. And the man took a breath. And he came back to life. Why? Because he had such confidence in, if I pray, I expect it to happen. God said, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So if I'm laying hands on him and he's not getting up, he's got the problem, not me. So he keeps laying hands on until he sees the result. How confident are we in our prayer? How confident are we in the fact that if we introduce spiritual realities into a situation, I'm waiting and I'm living in the expectation of change and I'm not prepared to live and tolerate anything outside of that. Why? We need to recalibrate a little bit because we're a healthy, happy plan B. I'll pray for it, but if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because you know what? We're so sophisticated and advanced right now. It's okay, I'll run to the doctor and I'll just get an antibiotic and get it sorted out. This is not a criticism of doctors, believe me. Doctors are wonderful, go and enjoy them, get all I can. The point that I'm making is this. Ultimately, what you want is to get to a place where it's like, you know what? I have authority over that. I have influence over that. And I recognize the power in that space. And suddenly when those things come against me, change happens. That's the place we want to get to. The thing is, we don't have to do that because I got the doctor and I got the antibiotic waiting in the wings. 
I'm not saying don't do it. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is this. Let's put more credence. Let's invest more in spiritual truths. Let's live in the expectation and let's pursue that so that it happens. We wouldn't tolerate most things if we tried them and they didn't work. If you went and you, you, you bought a new vehicle and you took it out for a drive and it started splattering and, and, and it broke down on the side of the road, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, there's the car. What happens? I take it back. Why? It's not working. You told me this would drive. You told me this would get me from A to B. You told me I could have confidence in this. It's not doing what you said it would do. Fix it. Where's our interrogation of spiritual truths? It's not with God. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I've got to get to a place of being real and honest with myself where I sit and say, okay, why is it not working here? I can't tell you what the answer is because it's going to be different for every person. But I am going to give you some pointers that I, I think are places that you can investigate and explore and may open up some avenues for you. What's so important for us is to understand... Oh, where was I going to go? Sorry, I got lost. What was I talking about? Where was I? Oh, yes, we're natural people. Yes. So God's going to meet us when, when we're natural. But God's not going to leave you in natural. Remember, the whole point about stepping up into the next dimension is I'm migrating outside of natural and I'm moving into spiritual. Every step I'm taking is I'm in, the, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm recognizing more and more that I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Every day I'm recognizing that the source of my life, the, 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 the influence that I'm looking for, the direction that I'm looking for, the wisdom that I'm looking for, the favor that I'm looking for, everything that I'm searching for is to be found in the spirit realm. And I'm moving on a journey closer and closer to what God's ultimate design for me is. He's inviting me to, into partnership because I can never get any of those things on my own. The amazing thing about the journey is that it's a journey of death. And it's something that you should celebrate so much. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to talk about this more next week because this is a really, really important point. Um, but the thing is this. The reason that death is so important is because we have a capacity issue. We have a capacity issue. The more we have of God, the more spiritual we are. The less we have of God, the less spiritual we are. And I'm talking, about, I'm talking about living. I'm talking about everyday life. I'm talking about be renewed in, this, in your mind, okay? I'm not talking about whether you're born again, if you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. I'm talking about what defines how we live. We have a capacity issue. And so the thing is, the reason that God invites us into dying to self is because every time I die to self in a particular area, what it is that I do is I take away and I remove from that particular container my thoughts, my ideas, and my limitations, and I pull them out. And the minute I pull them out, I've just created a space right now, which is a capacity for the Spirit of God to come and to fill. And all of a sudden, I've got more of God than I used to have before. 
It's about the great exchange. It's about transference. It's about taking out those things that I define that I think I need to be and allowing him to come into that space. I've been crucified by Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is he saying? It's a capacity issue. The more you have of God, the more you allow him to saturate your life, the greater you're going to walk into the promises of what he has for you. The greater spiritual reserves you have on the inside to make a demand off of. It's all about capacity for God I thought it was a good thing anyway it's you can build your capacity for God it's all about growth and expansion it's all about the reason that death is so important is because I get to pull out me with all my limitations everything that's an encumbrance everything that's a hindrance to moving into something and I allow the spirit of God to come in and to flood that place and when he floods it he brings everything that's of him life Love and power. I now have a different place from which to live. Anytime we start partnering with God, the thing is, no matter where you find yourself right now, he's going to invite us into something new. The place that we're moving into is a place in Christ. I'll speak about this in more detail next week because this is important as well. Christ is the anointing. It's not Jesus. Jesus the Christ is Jesus the anointed one. So when it says we have places in Christ, you have places in the anointing. And what God wants to do is elevate you by moving into higher degrees of the anointing. And so every time we step into a new dimension, I'm stepping into a new place of Christ, a new place of the anointing. Our ability to partner with God is sometimes really, really compromised because of what we do. I'm really not having a go at anybody. (laughs) I promise it sounds like that today. I'm trying to help you because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pull some plugs out of stuff that allow you to flow with God a little easier. Sometimes it's surprising to me how people have so many, um, you know, they have... um, What do you call those things? Uh, A sacred cows. You know what a sacred cow is? A sacred cow in somebody's life is it's like, you know what? I've got a doctrine. I've got a theology. I've got an idea about God. I've got something that I've been taught and I'm holding on to it for dear life because it's right and I'm not changing. And the problem with it is what ends up happening is God can't pull me to the next level because I'm stuck right here. That's what happens to denominations. God gives them a revelation and God gives them something new and they move into what that's all about and they allow that to give definition to who they are. But they haven't realized the fact that revelation is progressive. It doesn't stop. And so what you have may be true, but it's a small part of the entire truth. If you allow the Holy Spirit to keep taking you on that journey, he's taking you to a deeper revelation. The problem with it is we want to cap it. I had this great revelation. That's what it is. That's the beginning and that's the end of it and that's the way that it looks. And so God's sitting saying, well, that's fine. It was okay for where you were, but it's not okay for where I want to take you because there's more to that. Will you open up to this? No, no. I've got to make a choice in my life. Never get stuck on anything. Understand, what I would suggest to you is this. All of us have been taught stuff. If you've been in church, you've been taught stuff. If you've read a book, you've been taught stuff. If you've listened to a podcast, you've been taught. If you watch television, you've taught stuff. Not everything we've been taught has been good. 
Some of the stuff that I've been taught was what other people understood. And honestly, some of it was wrong. Other stuff that I was given, people had a revelation of. And it was really good. It was amazing. And it completely changed my life. And opening, opening that up and being able to walk into that was very dynamic. The thing is that it wasn't whole and comprehensive. And so God was saying, great, that was a stepping stone. You've just come in through the threshold. You're in the front door. Now do you want me to take you on a journey through the house? But I'm like, no, I just want to stay at the front door because I've got everything. Let him take you on a journey. Nobody else, nobody else should give you anything in its entirety. Please do me a favor, and this includes with me. I'm not excluding me from this. Go and get with the Holy Spirit and pray about some stuff. It's amazing to me as some stuff that I hear people saying, and it's the biggest load of rubbish. And the reason I say that is this, it's not scriptural. But the problem with it is people sit in the pew and they digest. And it was like, I heard it, so it must be right. And it's like, who said it's right? Did you go and check it out? Does it align with scripture? If it doesn't align with scripture, there's a problem. And you can be well-intentioned, but you can be just off the mark. And the problem with it is, you know, it ends up happening. It's like denominations. What do we do? We listen to everybody who's part of our denomination. And we speak to people who are part of our denomination. And we, we read the doctrine, which is our denomination. And we read books from our denomination. So what happens is it's like a little Petri dish. And we all live in the same little stuff all the time. And it's like, well, we, now we, and what we do is we reaffirm ourselves all the time. It's like, yep, everybody else is saying it, so it must be right. But we live in a tiny little space. And sometimes if you're, if you're courageous enough to step out of the Petri dish, you may actually find that somebody else has got a revelation. And it might be something that was in opposition to where you were. But when you begin to explore it scripturally, it's like, whoa, hold on. I think they were right. What happened? It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Step up to a new dimension. You were stuck. You were living in your little Petri dish down there. Very happy with everybody else in the Petri dish. I want you to move up. I want you to move into something new. Never have a sacred cow in your life. Never. There are things, and I'm not for a moment suggesting that are not fundamentals and pillars. They are. But what I'm telling you is this. The full revelation of that, nobody has except God. And the more we walk into stuff, the deeper he wants to take us with those revelations. So always be open to the influence of the Holy Spirit and let him guide you and direct you. He's taking you somewhere for a purpose. He's taking you somewhere for a purpose. I think sometimes the biggest challenge that we have, this is me personally, okay? So this is Gavin's view. I think sometimes the biggest challenge that the church has in America, the biggest challenge the church in America has is the fact that we're stuck in a pothole of understanding and a lack of power. You can go to most churches and speak to people and they can probably give you a fair amount of information about God or the Bible, whatever it might be, but there's no power. There's no power. We live in a wonderful age, an age of technology. And the wonderful thing about technology is that you have so many toys at your disposal. You can go and you can get curling irons that can do all kinds of stuff. You can get hair dryers and they blow hot and they blow cold. And you can go and get a microwave so you don't even have to worry about using your oven because it'll do it in two minutes flat. 
You can have wonderful things like vacuum cleaners, so you don't even have to get the, the broom out anymore and sweep stuff up. You just get the vacuum out, and it makes your life so much easier. We have televisions. Entertainment came into the house. We have wonderful, wonderful appliances all over our house, and we love it because, you know, when you move into a new house, everything feels so good and new and fresh, and we invite somebody in, and they say, oh, I love it. Your fridge matches your kitchen, and your look, your microwave's got a special cover on it, and it's like, oh, but you must see my... But you know what the truth is? You can have all the appliances you want and all of them are good and all of them are perfect and all of them have a function and all of them have a benefit, but none of them work if you don't have any power. We have so many Christians that have a house full of appliances and there's nothing wrong with the appliances. The appliances are good and the appliances, if you speak to them, they can give you so much and they can tell you about the benefits of all their appliances, but they've got no power. If we don't have power, we're in trouble. If we don't have power, we're in trouble. There's a story in the New Testament, and it's about this man, and he had a demon-possessed son. Um, what is it in? I think it's Mark chapter, what is it? Mark 9, yeah. And he's got a demon-possessed son, and he comes to Jesus. And he has his de- this, the son of his who needs help. And his disciples are, oh, don't worry about it. I'll tell you what, we can help you out. And so what ends up happening is all the disciples knew what to do. All the disciples had been with Jesus. All the disciples had seen what needs to happen. And so all the disciples got involved and they casting out and they binding and they doing this, that, and the next thing. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. They knew the formula. They knew the understanding. They had the facts. They knew what should be happening. The problem was they had no power. Jesus said, bring him to me. Let me do it. And so Jesus speaks to them a little bit later, and they said to Jesus, why is it that we couldn't cast that out? And Jesus says, that one only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. That's so important. Jesus didn't say, you know what? You didn't quite have the doctrine right. You have to understand, you have to cast out before you bind. He takes them to something much deeper. And he says, if you're looking for power, which is what you needed in that situation, you're not going to find power in the formula. You're not going to find formula in, uh, power in your understanding. You're not going to find for, uh, power by doing it in a different way. You're going to find power when you starve the flesh and connect with the Father. Starve the flesh and connect with the Father. Power is found in relationship. No other place. No other place. Oh, okay. See, I haven't even got to David yet. I know that's what I thought, Rafa. Okay, let me just jump to that. Um, so, God says to Samuel, I got a few minutes. God says to Samuel, Israel needs a new king. And he says, come with me because I've identified the king. And in order for the king to assume his position of ruler over the kingdom, I want you to anoint him with oil. In order for David to walk into God's plans and purposes for his life, for him to move to a place where he was going to be a figure of authority, he had to be anointed. Why? 
Because the anointing introduces us to authority. And authority is a place where we live from that is power-packed. You don't get there without the anointing. Revelations chapter 1 verse 6, Jesus says, You are kings and you are priests. Kings and priests. He ties them together with the word and. And. In other words, they're not inseparable. They're not separable. They, they go together. Both of them are really important because both of them speak about different things, but they operate in a united way. When you talk about a king, you're talking about a position of railing and ruling. You're talking about something which has to do with authority. A king is a person in, a thor- in authority. When you're talking about reigning and ruling, you cannot reign and rule if you don't have a kingdom. Let me ask you a question. How large is your kingdom? What are you reigning and ruling over spiritually? I know, I had to ask myself that same question. It's a bit of a bad one, huh? <laughs> the thing about it is, kingdoms grow. Kingdoms grow. You can inherit a kingdom, but the whole point about the kingdom is it should be enlarging and it should be expanding. What does it do? How does the kingdom of God expand? The kingdom of God expands when I recognize an area of my life that is outside of God's will. There is such an important, um, I don't want to use this word. Let me think of another word. Hold on. Um, reference point for God, for, for us. Thy kingdom come. God's intention is for his kingdom to come. How is his, go, his kingdom going to come? When we recognize his will in a situation on earth as it is in heaven. If you ever want to walk into what kingdom truth is all about, find God's will. The minute you find God's will in a situation, you understand what the kingdom is in that particular situation. And so the minute we take God's will and we're able to introduce God's will with authority and power, what ends up happening is as you conquer that particular area, it gets incorporated into your kingdom. Now you reign and rule over something. Anything that, as we journey through life, anything in your life that's outside of God's design, that's outside of God's will, is outside of God's kingdom. So our, our role and our purpose is discovered when his will be done. Anytime you're journeying, whatever you're facing today, the thing about it is, what well, question I would ask is this, what is your will, Father? Because the minute he shows you his will, what he's saying is, this is kingdom design. And so would you like that to become part of your kingdom? Something that you have authority and influence over. That's the invitation that's extended to us. So he, we are called, that's a little bit of a side point. So we're called to be kings and priests. King speaks about a position of authority. But priest, the priestly role is a role of sacrifice and worship. Sacrifice and worship. This is how it works. Remember, Your journey is defined by death. As a priest, it has everything to do with me in relationship with the Father. I sacrifice those things which are of my flesh, which are of my design, which are of my will, which are of me, so that it creates a space for him. And I worship, I place worth and value on who he is. And I allow that to come into that space. 
And the result of that is it introduces me to what it is to be an authority figure in that area of life. And so I move into a place of ruling and reigning in that area of life. But I don't get the authority without the sacrifice and the worship. It's the worship and the sacrifice that puts me at a place that allows who he is to come into that space because it's not my power and my authority that does anything. It's his. So I've got to get him into that place because what happens is I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God's power lives in me. God's authority lives in me. The anointed one lives on the inside of me. And so as a result of that, I get to rule and reign in that area of my life. So there's something quite interesting, and I'll end with this. But it's like, if you have a look at the a priest, it's really required of a priest that they adopt a, a, a disposition of humility. A priest is always about God having preeminence, God being the dominant um, feature in the relationship. I live in humility with who God is. King is all about authority. It's an authority figure. It's the ability to be able to reign and rule in a kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what it's saying? Blessed are those people who adopt a humble attitude with God who recognize the fact that I have nothing in order to move into a place of authority, ruling, and reigning in and of myself. And I'm completely dependent on you and your grace. And as your grace begins to gift to me what it is that I need from you, it allows me to move into a place of ruling and reigning in that space. God has a wonderful plan for our lives. God has an incredible plan for, for you. I'm excited about this because I think what it'll do is my intention is to interrogate some stuff. And the reason I want to do that is because if we can dislodge some things and pull some barnacles off, what will end up happening is I believe it'll free you and liberate you to move into what God really has for you and a whole new dimension of where God is. What I want to do is make you realize that God is forever... On, on a journey to liberate and to elevate you, to move you from one dimension to another. One thing that's going to happen as you begin to move along with God is you're going to notice that something is going to change fundamentally, and it's going to be your vision. Because when we're young and God meets us, because we are very self-oriented, my context for the things of God is very much how I can take the things of God and use them as an extension of my kingdom. But as I begin to journey with God, what I begin to recognize more and more is the value and the significance of his kingdom. And when I begin to recognize the value of his kingdom more and more, what ends up happening is my vision begins to become elevated. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer living for myself, but I begin to recognize in that space that I can, I can live for him. And that actually he's called me as an agent of change to have influence for his kingdom. And I'm here for a purpose so much bigger than my world. 
I'm here for a purpose to have influence in my community and in my environment and even for the nation. If there's one thing this nation needs right now is this nation needs God. It doesn't need religion. The problem with religion is they still sit and say, well, show me God. Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. I don't want to know what the Bible says. Show me the power. Show me the power. Uh, If you tell me God is real, I want to encounter him. And if you can't give me that encounter, all you really have is a doctrine. You have a theology, and there are lots of different theologies and lots of different religions. Who's to say yours is better than anybody else's? I think that for good reason, many people have a very, very soft spot in their heart for America. And they see so much of what's taking place right now. And they're wanting to have influence in that space. What I can tell you is this. I can promise you, the greatest influence you can have is spiritual. Greatest influence. You can change stuff spiritually that you cannot change on yourself. We can do stuff in the flesh, and you can go and do a whole bunch of stuff and pick it and get it. And you know, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I will tell you is this: if we have a revelation and we begin to realize and begin to live from spiritual power, you will begin to recognize. Hold on a second. I can do some things in this place that I cannot do outside of that. I listened to a testimony this week. I haven't finished it yet. It's a long one. It's about three hours. of a guy who used to be a high priest in the occult. And he got born again. And it made me so sad. Because their lives are so committed to that. I mean, they prepared a sacrifice. But he had power. He could do some stuff that was incredible. But he, he spoke about how one day there, there was a particular thing that was happening and um, he was called to go and pray for it. And so they sent him off and he went off and into the hills to go and pray for three weeks. No water, no food, three weeks of prayer. Why? Because there was something so much more at stake. He was dabbling in a realm that was powerful, and that he was an active participant in that power. And when he got a hold of it and he began to taste it, he wanted more of it. I believe that when we begin to taste the things of God in a real way, when we taste of the power of God, it'll be easier to get people to a prayer meeting. This is not a criticism of everything. I, I just my, what what hurts me so much is that I think that the, the body of Christ in America is so apathetic. We're so casual, and I think we don't necessarily recognize the fact that on the outside, America is in serious trouble, and we want to scream and shout and protest and do all the things. But if we were able to lock into some spiritual power, you can change some stuff that you couldn't do otherwise. You could move some people out of situations. We don't believe that. Why? Because we don't live it. Because it's never been real to us. 
What I want to do in this is encourage you. There is a spiritual dimension to our relationship with God that I don't believe we've tapped into in the least. I don't even think we've hit the superficial side of things. And I think it is deep. And the thing about it is, it is powerful. He said something so interesting. You know what he said? He said, people in the occult aren't scared of people who preach. He said, we're afraid of people who pray. You don't have to have power to preach. Great if you have it. You should have both. But when you pray, you touch the divine. And when you touch the divine, things happen. We don't even recognize it, but the occult does. I can't go to certain places. Why? Because there's prayer there. There's a dimension to our spirituality that we haven't tapped. And my encouragement to us is this. Get out of your comfort zone. Gain a bigger vision. Understand that God wants to do something in the space. And sit and say, Father, you know what? I can do all kinds of things through Christ who strengthens me. And it doesn't mean I have to go up and throw them out of office. But if you give me the spiritual power to be able to have influence in that place, I want to thank you that I can bind some stuff, I can lose some stuff, and I can change some stuff spiritually. And people turn around and sit and say, how did that happen? He had stuff that he had people that said it to him all the time. How did that happen? He got involved in the, let me, I'll tell you this last story, then I'm done. He got involved in the occult when he was, when he was a kid because his mother got involved in it. But he had a teacher who gave him a hard time and he cursed her and she went blind. And she knew what it was and she came to him and she said, will you take this off me? And he said, yes. And she got her sight back. We don't, li- we don't operate in that level of power, but we should. I'm not saying using it for bad. What I'm saying is we should have that level of power. We should have that level of influence. What I want to do is I want to promote the fact that God is victorious. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you can tap into King of Kings and Lord of Lords spiritually, you'll be amazed at the stuff that we can do. Father, I just want to thank you for opening our eyes. I want to thank you, Father, for taking the blinkers off. I want to thank you, Father, that you are Above all, I thank you for pulling up our eyesight, for pulling up and positioning us to see things spiritually that we struggle to see in the natural. I want to thank you, Father, for everything that Jesus has provided for us. I want to thank you that he wants, his design is to introduce us to life of a superior nature, living from who you are and what you're all about, touching the divine, accessing life, being able to live from power. Holy Spirit, interrogate where we are. Leave us restless with where we are. I pray for every person now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just will fuel on the inside of them an insatiable hunger for the things of you. I want to thank you for elevation. I want to thank you for promotion. I want to thank you for expansion. I want to thank you for power in you. I speak blessing over every person here. Father, 
I just want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that through this week I ask you to elevate every one of our positions. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to take us to new dimensions in you. And I want to thank you that as we begin to step into that, I want to thank you that you recalibrate our lives, you recalibrate our realities according to the power that you put on the inside of us. I want to thank you for powerful people, powerful people. Bless you for it now, in Jesus' name. Amen.